Amen. Well, good morning. Hope y'all are doing well today. Y'all are like, y'all aren't, you're not Pastor Coleman. I know. He is uh, enjoying some time with his family at the Frio. I think he's probably on, it's 10 o'clock, 10.50. He's probably on his first uh, tube flow right now. Um, so I'm here filling in for y'all. We're going to be in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bible, you can flip there, Mark chapter 10. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Zach Lawley. I'm the uh, student pastor here at Katie's First. Um, I've got a wife named Mallory. She's awesome, and we have a little son named Luke. Uh, pray for him. We're first-time parents, and he's had 102 fever uh, for like, I don't know, since yesterday. And so um, she's home with him this morning. Um, but they're awesome. I love them so much. And we have a four-year-old little lab named Hallie that I need to mention as well. Um, but I'm the student pastor, and it's a privilege pouring into uh, students. Um, if you're not praying for the next generation, um, I want to remind you too. Uh, these kids um, through schools, I, I was joking with my wife earlier today, or earlier this week, I was saying, p- parents like used to have the opportunity to shelter their kids. Um, and now with social media, with, you know, everything that's out there, it is difficult for them to even protect their kids from what's out there. And so pray for this next generation of students coming up. Uh, they face a lot. They're, exper- they're uh, exposed to a lot. And so leading them on how to think and, and, and process and, and look at Scripture and, and, and handle those, those different things that they experience, is, um, it's, it's a lot. And so pray for them. But I truly believe that God is raising uh, a generation of students that um, are going to just take the gospel um, so far. And so um, if, if you forgot, even myself, like, the church will continue to go on, but we will continue to pass away. And uh, we need younger church leaders to continue to raise up, um, knowing Scripture, knowing truth. And so uh, be praying for that generation. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. If you uh, remember, we had Pastor Caleb Turner a couple weeks ago. He filled in uh, 35 through 45. I'm sweeping up the last few verses that we skipped when we jumped ahead for Palm Sunday. Um, so we're going to begin Mark chapter 10, looking at the story of blind Bartimaeus. Starting in verse 46, it says this. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'll stop right there. I'm gonna, we're going to slowly work through these, these verses here. Um, when I, when I ste- or teach in, uh, students, um, I like to tell them to put your feet in the shoes of each in- individual in the story um, that, you're, that you're reading about. Because it really begins to paint a picture. Um, we just actually walked through this passage just a second ago. Um, and we were able to pick out different pieces um, that, that, that's being taught here. And so... Uh, the first couple of different things that I see in these first two verses is you have Jesus, you have his disciples, and you have a large crowd of people leaving Jericho, and you have blind Bartimaeus sitting on the side of the road. In verse 47, it says that Bartimaeus realizes that Jesus was in this crowd. So, you know, I'm picking this part. I can read through this pretty quickly. But I find that interesting because every single person that was in this crowd, whether it was disciples or the other people, they were there because of Jesus. 
There wasn't like a sale going on in Jericho and they all got the sale and they were like they were all there because of Jesus. And so blind Bartimaeus sitting there, he can't he can't see anything. He's waiting on people to walk by so he can beg and he can ask for food and, and, and money. He realizes that there's a large crowd, and the large crowd, in that large crowd is Jesus. And he begins shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, trying to get Jesus' attention. And then we continue on to verse 48. And the people in the crowd, it says, Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But Bartimaeus shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Now, thinking through this story, uh, students, we just talked about this earlier. This moment right here where Bartimaeus is calling out, there's, there's a lot of chaos going on. They're following Jesus, you know, talking, there, there, there's a murmur going on. Enough for Bartimaeus to realize that Jesus is in the crowd. He starts shouting. People start, shh, be quiet. And Jesus stops and says, call him. Now, Bartimaeus, he was blind. And uh, him being blind in this time is, is different than 2021 today. Uh, we, we help blind people. Um, but Bartimaeus in his time uh, was kind of shoved to the curb. He's sitting on the curb begging, right? He's shoved to the curb. He, he, he's looked at as nothing. He's looked at as um, maybe like to the point of having a disease, like you're nothing to society. And to the point where this group of people told Bartimaeus that Jesus did not have time for him. Be quiet. Shh. Basically saying, he doesn't have time for you. You're not worth it to him. Just be quiet and sit here. But Bartimaeus shouted all the more, I love in verse 50, if we jump there, Jesus calls him, he gets on his feet, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. And then verse 50, he says, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus, th this was like his only, this could have been his only shot. He's sitting on the curb, he realizes that Jesus is in here, he doesn't know if Jesus is going to pass him by ever again, and he realizes this might be my only shot. And so I'm going to scream, I'm going to yell, I'm going to try and get Jesus' attention, even if people are trying to tell me to be quiet. We'll continue on a little bit further. He comes to Jesus, and in verse 51, he says, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man says, Rabbi, I want to see. And so right here, we get a glimpse into what, how Bartimaeus viewed Jesus. See, Bartimaeus didn't just view Jesus as a healer. He didn't just view Jesus as like a genie. But Bartimaeus really understood more of who Jesus really was. If we go back and we remind ourselves what Bartimaeus was crying out and yelling, he was saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He referred to him as son of David because Bartimaeus knew in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5 through 6, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous capital B branch. 
a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he is called the Lord, our righteous Savior. See, Bartimaeus knew that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And so him referring to Jesus, son of David, it had some weight and some understanding to it. And so then in verse 51, when he says, Rabbi, I want to see, oftentimes rabbi is referred to as a teacher. But I would argue that rabbi right here is a little bit further than teacher. If we look in, in, in the Luke account in, verse eight, or in chapter 18, it says, Lord, I want to see. See, Bartimaeus, sitting on the curb, hearing that Jesus was in this crowd, crying out to him, was more than just a cry for sight. But he understood that Jesus was special. He was the Messiah. There was something more to him than just going around healing people. He wanted a moment with his master and Lord and Savior. And then verse 52, as we close this out, Jesus says, Go, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received a sight and followed Jesus along the road. I think there's a whole sermon in that verse right there. We talked about it this morning in the student ministry. Uh, Jesus tells him to go, your faith has healed you. And Bartimaeus, his response in following Jesus Essentially saying, hey, Jesus, I thank you, like, I am healed, but my going, there is no other way for me to go but your way. And as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as we go, there's no other way for us to go than Jesus' way, whatever that may be calling us to. Uh, for instance, I'm standing up here preaching, and I would have never guessed I'd be here, I don't know, a year ago, much less five or ten years ago. Um, but we're called as Christians to follow Jesus, to go where he calls us to go. And Bartimaeus right here, he restores his sight. Jesus says, go. And his response is to follow Jesus along the roadside. I've, uh, I've been known that, I, or I've known I was going to be preaching uh, on this passage for about a month or so. Um, and as I've been praying, as I've been studying, as I've been um, trying to figure out what it is um, I want to land on, what it is that um, I want to share with y'all this morning, uh, there's one uh, portion of this passage that I haven't been able to move past. And it's the desperation of Bartimaeus' faith. He's sitting on the curb each and every day begging. He realizes this might be his shot and he cries out at the top of his lungs, even when he's being told to be quiet. He has a desperation of his faith. And uh, as I've landed on that and I've continued to pray and seek and, and, and figure out what it is I want to share with you, um, over this last year or so, uh, we as a staff have looked at our membership process and um, have, have kind of put into play some, some things that are going to help us as people come and join and belong um, here at Katie's First. And one of the best things we've been able to do through our membership process, as well as asking y'all to uh, update your information and share your stories with us, is we as a staff, every time someone fills out this form, we get a ding to our email. I open up the email and I get to read your story of salvation. 
And over this last year, we have been encouraged. Psalm 51, verse 12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. We've been, we have been able to hear, and hopefully you as sharing those stories have been able to restore the, the joy of your salvation. Um, and there's one story that's been kind of sticking with me. And, and I asked uh, her if I could share it with you. Um, and she said, yes, you share my story as much as you want. Um, but it's a story. Uh, she, she's been coming to this church for, for years and years and years. Uh, about a month or two ago, uh, she realized, hey, I, I'm ready to um, actually belong here and, and, and be a member here at Katie's First. Um, so she came down. We've been walking her and her family through the membership process. And uh, when her they filled up this form. It came to my email and I read it. It hasn't been able, I haven't been able to forget it. Um, and it's a story of salvation that was the product of desperation. Just like Bartimaeus right here. It was the product of desperation. You see, she grew up in a very, very abusive home. Her father was abusive to, to her mother, all her siblings, verbally, physically, emotionally, sexually, all, all of the abuses. And uh, she remembers one specific uh, Christmas Eve night. She was at her, um, their, their gas station that they owned. Her father was, was drunk inside, trying to get, her mom was going back and forth, trying to take care of the kids. She was 11 years old at this time. Her siblings were around that age, young, young kids, trying to get her father to come home with them. And she would come out, her, her mother would come out and remind her that God's going to take care of them. And there was a hymn, I don't actually know it, but maybe you know it, the old hymn called God Will Take Care of You. And she would sing that hymn over and over and over and over again. And it was that night, that Christmas Eve night, 11 years old, it was despite the pain, despite the abuse, despite the, the just broken, brokenness that she had been raised in for 11 years, it was that moment that she realized that there was nothing, no one else on earth that she could put her faith and trust in except God. Because God was the only one that could take care of her. When her mom would go inside, she wasn't sure that her mom was going to come back out. She had siblings that... They were in the same boat as her. And it was this moment of desperation as 11 years old when she decided, Jesus, God is the only person that I can put my faith in. And her salvation, but I promise you she shares this story over and over and over again with people to restore the joy of her salvation and use it as a testimony of her faith is a product of desperation. And in thinking about that, uh, there are a lot of y'all in this room that have a salvation story that is a product of desperation. But there's also a lot of people that are similar to myself. You see, my story doesn't have the appearance of desperation. I was raised with two awesome, loving parents. I was raised in the church. Uh, my dad played in our orchestra. He still plays in the orchestra. They taught Sunday school. I was always at church on Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, and Sunday nights. I had to go back, but I got to wear jeans. It was awesome. But I, was, I grew up in the church with parents that, that, that raised me to know Jesus. And I am so thankful for that. 
But in thinking of my story, my story doesn't have the appearance of desperation. Maybe you have a similar story and it doesn't have the appearance of desperation. But the reality is that each and every one of our stories of salvation, of coming to the Lord, is a product of desperation. Let me remind you, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says that as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You had nothing you could do to save you. So if you have the testimony that starts like, oh, well, I've kind of always known God. That's a great story. But don't forget that you were dead in your transgressions. And maybe when you were seven years old and you accepted Christ at VBS, that was a story of desperation going from death to life. And moving on past that, we have our salvation story. We have the story of Bartimaeus crying out for, for, for Jesus in desperation. We have a glimpse into what his life looked like after this moment of him following Jesus along the roadside. And so further past that, we have our life. We have our salvation moment, and then we have the moment where we live and we follow Jesus each and every single day. And this is where I want to land on today. That whether your salvation story has the appearance, it was a a product of desperation, or whether your salvation story didn't necessarily have the appearance of desperation, each and every single day, we wake up and we follow the Lord and what he calls us to do. Each and every day requires a full desperation and dependence on God. And that's where I want to end today. Let me remind you of this, Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy. Psalm 90, if you were here on Wednesday at our prayer night, we we, we read and prayed through Psalm 90. It was an incredible time. We're going to have more of them. I invite you to come back when that is. Psalm 90 verse 14 says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Each and every day we wake up is a day that we get to be satisfied by God. A full desperation on Him. And Isaiah 40, this is a fun verse because I'm up here and I'm a youth. It says, Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so each and every day requires a full desperation on God. So if you're sitting here, and you're like, man, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, but as I'm evaluating my life, as I'm evaluating this last week, like, I don't know if I'm living my life with a full desperation on God each and every day. And you're, you're probably not alone. And if that's you, I think you're in one of two boats. You're in one of two places, and, and I'm going to share these two, and, and they may sting, they may hurt. Like, I want you to know I've been in both of these boats before. And I'm only 27 years old, and I've been in both of these boats before. But if you are a Christian, you're a professing believer in Christ, and you're not fully desperate on God each and every day, the first boat you might be in is that you are 
doing the right things. You're, you're doing the ministry. You're, you're, you're trying to reach people for the gospel. You're loving all your neighbors. But you're doing it under your own power. And I'll tell you, I was, I was there about a month ago. And the Lord showed me, Zach, you're doing some great things. You're doing the right things. You're not doing anything that I can complain about in your ministry. But how much more could you do if you were desperate on my power and you allowed me to work through you? And I came to this realization that I was robbing God of all that he could do through me. I was hindering the advancement of the gospel in my area because I was trying to do it under my own strength. And so, if you're a professing Christian, you're a believer, you're not fully dependent on God, you might be in that boat. And here's a reminder that, that God is powerful, He is strong, He's fully in control, and you can do way more if you rely on His power rather than your own. Let me remind you, Isaiah 40, even youths grow tired and weary. And if you're not in that boat... You're a professing Christian, but you're not fully desperate on God every single day. The other boat you might be in is, is you're not living your life as a fully devoted follower of Christ. You, you, you're going through the motions. You wake up on Sunday morning, you put on your, your church clothes, you come to church, you, you do your things, you go to your class, you get your coffee, you talk to the same people. You sit in here, you sing some songs, listen to some stuff. You go eat, at, eat your lunch at the same place you go to every single Sunday. And then you take off your church clothes and maybe you don't think about your faith and what that means to you until the next Sunday. Or Saturday night when you're planning on coming to church in the morning. And that, that one stings a little bit. Because I think a lot of times we can say, God, I believe in you. I trust in you. You died on the cross. There's no doubt about that. But we forget that because of that truth and what that truth means in us, he calls us into action and he chooses to use us as individuals. He doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to use us. And so maybe you're doing the right things, but you're not allowing God to work through you. Or maybe you're just not doing the things but each and every day, we as believers of Christ are called to be fully dependent on God each and every day. To be satisfied, satisfied by Him each and every morning. And if you're not in one of those two boats, or you're not in the first boat where you're doing, uh, doing the work of the Lord through His power, and, and it's just incredible, you might be in a fourth boat. Talking about boats, I know. I was at the beach yesterday. Maybe that's why. You might be in a fourth boat, and it's that you're sitting in this room, and you've never given your life to Christ. You're, you're not a professing Christian. You haven't realized that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, You are dead in your sins and your transgressions. There's no saving yourself except Jesus. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only thing that can save you. And so, just as I do uh, with the student ministry, on Wednesdays and Sundays, I want to give you the exact same opportunity right now to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Um, 
And so with every, every head bowed, every eyes closed, no one's looking around. If you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, this is the moment. If you're in this room and you're already a Christian, already a believer, this is your moment to pray for salvation in this room, that the Lord would stir and move in someone's heart, that they would have the boldness to say yes to Jesus today. And so if that's you, you need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Quietly to yourself, pray this prayer. God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm desperately in need for a Savior. Come into my life and make me new. God, you are good. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it holds. And God, I pray as we go about our week, the rest of our day, God, that we would be reminded that we don't take a step, we don't say a word, we don't, don't do anything without the power of you. May we wake up each and every morning with a desire to be satisfied by you. God, you are good. We thank you for your son Jesus dying on the cross, raising again three days later, defeating death, and because of that we can put our hope and trust in you. That if we die, we'll spend eternity with you. Thank you for that. I pray that we would never grow tired and, and bored of that incredible story, incredible gospel. God, you are good, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.